We need our money. We need it now. I don't got that kind of time because it's the panorama. Okay? When I was young, I was really heavy into my church. My favorite thing was learning about joy. See, joy is different from happiness. Happiness is fleeting, situational, superficial, but joy is the root, the core of it all. I used to do this thing when I was young. I'd lock myself in my room, lie on my bed with my eyes closed, and I would think about who I was and who I wanted to become. I thought about how pure my heart was and how much I tried to do everything out of love. I felt like I was love and I was joy in those moments. I guess I was meditating before I knew what it meant. These were my only times when I felt like my purest self. I hushed the pain, sadness, shame, embarrassment, the guilt, and then there was me. And she was beautiful, wise, strong, loving, and powerful. She's who I'm becoming if I can just make it through these days. I remember praying for wisdom and I always wondered if I knew everything it took to become the woman that I asked to be, would I still have prayed that prayer? Well, well, welcome back to Stepdaddy Season. I'm your host, Amber Inadehi. If you like this podcast, please take time to rate and review it on whatever platform that you're using. Please also take time to follow us on Instagram at Stepdaddy Season Pod. If you have something that you want to say or you want to reach out with any questions or any kind of feedback, please reach out to me at stepdaddyseason at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. I know I took a little break last week. I hope y'all didn't miss me too much, but I have three episodes on deck. So y'all will be hearing from me back to back to back to back (laughs) and things are really going up from here. So just stay tuned y'all because this story is about to be wild. All right, guys, so today's fun fact about me is that I'm a big advocate for mental health and mental health services. I myself have been in counseling since 2013 And I honestly feel like it saved my life. No joke. I'll talk more about that in my second season, um, which will be more like a prequel to this, just to give you perspective on what I was dealing with and what I was going through at the time. It's validated a lot of my life experiences. It's really given me the language that I need to resolve conflict within my relationships and then also resources to use to better myself, to heal and to preserve my energy and my mental health. Before therapy, I was really what I would call emotionally constipated. So I grew up in an environment where being sensitive and having feelings were really frowned upon. There's this one core memory I have of my grandmother screaming in my cousin's face as she was crying, telling her, you're a strong black woman. You need to suck it up. Get it together. Get it together. And growing up and hearing, oh, you're sensitive. And that's an insult. So you start to retreat within yourself. 
And going to counseling really helped pull that out of me and helped me unlearn a lot of the things that I learned. And then also give me perspective about my family and what they were going through and how they were handling things differently for me. After Tay died, I couldn't even cry. I cried three times. Once, as soon as I found out, because it was horrible. The second time was on the plane back home. And then the third was at his funeral. But after that, I couldn't cry at all. I would cry four thug tears and that was it. Having all of those emotions inside, you feel like a volcano, but you can't even let it out. It was horrible. So once I started going to counseling, I was able to kind of take those things off. I said, I'm never, ever going back to that. I don't care what anybody calls me. (laughs) But yeah, I say that to say, if you want to talk to me, you better be in therapy, baby, because I need somebody who can talk to me on the same type of tip. I wrote my last mini so to really frame the next bits and pieces of this story because I need you to understand the type of person that I'm dealing with. So I know people be like, oh, you know, I got this baby mama drama. I got this baby daddy drama and this and that. And we had to both come together. No, I didn't do anything to this man. And I need y'all to understand that. And so in going through the sociopathic and narcissistic tendencies, and I want you to understand he called himself a sociopath, not me. But I am leaning into that because I'm like, oh, okay, I can see it. But I need y'all to understand that that's the type of person that I'm dealing with. There is no reason in reasoning with these people. There's no talking to them. There's no mediating with them. And so when you start to hear the next few pieces of this story or really the whole rest of the thing, baby, you're going to really understand where I'm coming from. This was not your typical situation. So let's get into it. First... JD was sweet. He would promise to buy two of everything, diapers, wipes, formula, anything I needed, but he never actually did it. Then he would promise me gifts. He said that he bought me some Zodiac necklace or something like that. Just trying little things to see what he can do to grab my attention. Then he tried to invite me to go on family outings under the guise of helping me restore my breast milk supply. He would send me Amazon links and talk about going to the farmer's market, which is one of my all-time favorite places. He wanted us to work together to try some home remedy recipes because he knew how important breastfeeding was to me. That sounded really good, right? But I would always ask him, why can't you just make the recipe on your own if you care so much and give it to me? That way I can have my space because I really need to take space to get over you. And that was my full intention at this point. And he will always tell me that this is something that we should do together. And if I didn't go, then he just wouldn't do it. He would say things like, you know, I haven't really done anything that I can't come back from. You and me, we always find our way back to each other, just like we did this time. Then he promised me money every time he got paid. He would always slide me enough to pay a bill maybe but never enough to really alleviate any real household costs. But I was grateful nonetheless. I'm resourceful, so I start figuring it out and filling in the gaps. I don't think that JD realized that I had gotten over him during my pregnancy. I spent so much time alone, just me and Judah, so I got a pretty clear idea emotionally of what it was like to be with my son as a single mom. It felt like JD had already abandoned me then. So the leaving when my baby actually got here was way easier because I had already done the emotional work. My life already fell apart when I needed him the most. Even though it hurt and it was traumatizing, it wasn't nearly as bad 
as what I had went through when I was pregnant. This was like me just cleaning up after the devastation, honey. I recognized the ways that he was trying to force me to be around him and it disgusted me. It also felt like he wanted me to rush into forgiveness. And I didn't care to forgive him in the first place because he had never changed any of his behaviors. And honestly, he felt like a looming cloud over my life. And baby, I needed the sun. <laughs> so I told him, look, church people skip ahead like 30 seconds. Everybody else say, but church people, you skip ahead now. So I told him, look, I'm going to fuck you real good. And I'm not going to talk to you no more. And I did. <laughs> Looking back, I don't know if I should have done that. Because my life got hectic <laughs> after this time period but it's fine i stand 10 toes on all the decisions i make i was a breastfeeding mom at the time so the idea of dating in my new body and then in the midst of all this chaos i didn't even want to see a man after this but i also knew this was probably going to lead to a long season of me actively not dating this was like my last hoorah i took the heartbreak head on I never felt so much joy and such heartache all at one time. So I listened to my breakup playlist. I cried so much in my car. <laughs> I cry everywhere, but in my car, that was my crying place because I don't care if people looking. It felt good just to get it out. I felt like I was free, honey, from the shackles. I did not care. And I'm never gonna see y'all again, probably. And then by the time I got home, I've gotten the energy off of me instead of forcing myself to wait until it's appropriate time to grieve. This heartbreak was inappropriate, so I don't care how my feelings come out. <laughs> as long as I'm not hurting anybody, these little tears gonna come out how they need to. JD will always do this thing where he would make this little suggestion like, oh, he's going out with another woman or imply that he met somebody. And it was like, great. <laughs> have fun just leave me out of it okay i don't want to hear nothing about it i don't care have a good time i wanted this nigga to get from around me for real and whatever girl took him don't bring him the fuck back keep him okay it's funny because i used to even watch my son while he was going on dates and i knew that like i knew he was going out i had seen the messages and everything but I didn't care because it's like, this is my baby either way. I would rather my son is in my care while his daddy is doing whatever he wants to do rather than be in somebody else's care. So it just was, it's so mind blowing to me that I was just able to be in the midst of all that stuff going on. In the next week or so, I remember telling JD, if you feel like there's somebody out there better for you, then there must be somebody out there for me too because it's niggas outside. And he replied, well, that's so fucked up. How could you say that? How could you say it's other people out here and we're married? And I'm like, you've been running amok through the city. And the first time I step on the same thing, your heart hurt. Boy, please, whatever. I used to have tunnel vision for this man. And now I can't even tell what it is that I ever liked about him. Because everything was pretty much a lie. He would tell me good luck trying to find somebody who is... Who could do it like me? And it's so funny to me because niggas always want to be gatekeepers so bad. The gag is, I want the opposite of you. Why would I go out 
and try to find you when I want to be away from you. And honestly, it might take some time, but you will be replaced. <laughs> it was niggas outside before we got together and it's niggas outside now. So it was never the end all be all. <laughs> Not for me. It was the end of September 2019 and I got a nigga 72 hours to come get his stuff from the house. Just a little last bit of winter clothes or something that I had found. He told me he planned on getting his stuff from the house in a few months on his own time. He's like, just keep my stuff to the winter. And I was absolutely not going to do that. By the time he was finally asking me for his stuff, y'all, <laughs> I told him he could check at Goodwill or the shelter because between donations and offer up, I don't know where none of his stuff is. I just know it's not up in my house no more. I did keep two things for my son. I kept his dad's suit from our wedding and my favorite blazer that I had bought for him. That's just so my son can have healthy memories and just have something tangible from that time. I feel like those are good memories, good moments, and I want him to have something from that. But his daddy could suck it. This was honestly one of the most confusing times in my life, period. <laughs> it was so weird having him be sweet and then change at the drop of a dime to being angry. Like he came in and apologized to me for everything. He said that he knew he wasn't a good partner and he had failed me. And it was the first time I really felt heard in a long time. I was like, wow, thanks. Still want to leave and everything, but just having that apology was like, wow, at least some accountability. Kid you not. The next day, that apology meant absolutely nothing. <laughs> Went out the window and everything became my fault. So it started to kind of feel like he was having people in his ear. Definitely a completely different vibe than before. During the very last conversation I had with JD in my house, I almost jumped on him. <laughs> he would say things to try to hurt me so badly and to get a reaction out of me that I literally almost jumped on him however what stopped me was my little baby's head popping up and me remembering oh my son can see me as soon as you poked his little head up and looked at me something in me clicked hell no I'm not doing this to this baby I'm not letting him think that this is what love should be and what love should look like I'm not traumatizing my son and so I started counting reasons why I should be free, <laughs> making affirmations for myself. I remember when I really got low and I needed courage or energy or anything else, I would go into the mirror and I would just look at myself and say, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this over and over again until I felt like I was good enough to go do it. And that was whatever I had to do. I would give myself those pep talks all the time. Unknowingly, I had created an entire foundation to keep myself grounded during the most difficult time in my life. I did a good job preserving my energy and making sure that I was prioritizing myself and my son above everything. And that felt really good. I made the decision to show my son what love looks like, even if that means me really loving myself. I also made the decision to take that sadness that I had and just all the love that I wanted to give his father 
and channel that into loving Judah and making memories. I was super honest with him. I tried to make things happy as much as I could. Just spend time laughing with him and just getting to know him, his favorite little things and watching him grow. I made sure that I stayed in the moment too, because when you're in the midst of chaos, sometimes you don't remember to like really hone in on the day to day, beautiful things that are going on. And I needed to rely on those things to get through because that's what carried me. That was my motivation. There were times when I had to pick up extra shifts because JD wasn't helping me and I would be working for two months at a time, no days off. I was doing mural work and illustrations. I had to make something shake. So those moments where I really got to feel joy and laughter, I sat in those moments. Oh, and I took pictures and videos and screenshots of motivational messages that people sent me. I really relished in those moments because I needed them. I needed that light. There were so many times where I feel like this situation really could have pulled me to the other side. Like I could have been bitter. I could have been angry and I do think I was to a certain extent just the shock of everything was so devastating and then trying to pick up all the pieces of your life as it's collapsing I looked back on things as I was preparing for court and I found so many letters of collection and warnings and I was so close to losing everything that I had I feel like if I let him stay another month here I would have lost my house. I would have lost my car. I would have been way worse off. I was just so grateful that I trusted myself and I got myself out of that situation. People would tell me that they were sorry to see a black family breaking up. Child, they would blame everything and the devil for the relationship anyhow it did. Never seeing it's just a man, a little imperfect man. But they never realized I never had a family with JD to begin with. I had only known what it was like for him to love me as a boyfriend. And even that was a question at this point. Honestly, it was easier for me not having family memories to miss. It gave me a blank canvas, nothing to compare against. I got to create my own story with my son. And so that's what I started to do. Instead of inviting JD over for bad time, I started doing it myself. I would pick Judah up from school and we would go and play. <laughs> I would read him books every single night, which is what I do now. Just like reading to him, not even knowing if he can understand what was going on. I went to all the parent meetings at school. I just got fully immersed in being a mom. I was just trying to do everything, finding him costumes, <laughs> funny little cute things to try. I just was spending time with him, really sitting in those moments with my baby because he was so little and I knew he wasn't going to be that small again, but life doesn't stop. It just keeps on going. My actual family did surround me though. My parents, oh my gosh. <laughs> I remember one time I butt dialed them in the middle of the night. I tried to hang up so fast and they called me back anyway. My mom was like, I know this is your first night without Judah. He's not there. You know, it's hard. And if you can't sleep, we'll come and tuck you in. And I was like, no, you don't have to come. She's like, we're only five minutes away. Like, we can just come tuck you in the bed. And I was like, don't come, don't come. Pleading with them. She was like, too late. We up, we out the bed, we coming. And as soon as they opened the door, I lost it. I just started crying. I'm like, oh my goodness. And it just felt so good to have them let me be babied and nurtured you know just feel like you have to be strong for your kid 
and for yourself. You got to save everything because a nigga left you hanging. It was so devastating. But then you also have to process the fact that when you choose to leave, you choose to sacrifice half of the time with your kid. And I didn't do anything to deserve not seeing my son every day. But I made the decision to leave and that was really hard. <laughs> it just helped me so much having them around to make memories with and filling those gaps. They really stood by my side throughout everything. They gave me so many laughs and so many good memories. I didn't have to go through it alone. Like I never felt lonely during this time. If you know me, you know I'm really close to my brother and my sister. I love them so much. My brother is like my twin. My sister is like my guide, you know, like she's my role model. I would talk to my sister about it and she would just try to pray for me, you know, give me love, give me light, and just give me a safe space to feel how I feel. She was very reassuring to me. My brother, he shows his love in so many different ways. I just remember one night I was feeling so low and I talked to my brother every single day. He called me and I was working a night shift at the shelter and I just felt like I couldn't even talk. And he was just trying to check in. How are you? And I couldn't even say anything. And he told me, you know what? It's fine. I'm going to see you soon. Don't even worry about it. I woke up that next morning, like eight o'clock to him knocking on my door. He had drove all the way overnight from Houston to lay eyes on me and I just cried again <laughs> it was so sweet seeing all my people show up for me and really show me love like it made my heart feel so full because I needed that I needed those shoulders to cry on I needed people to be there for me I needed safe spaces to really talk about things and to for people to feel devastated and duped alongside me I needed that like nobody judged me Everybody knew that he got over on us, <laughs> like all of us. And it just helped having my family there to affirm me, stand behind me. And in a lot of ways, it was the first time that my whole family showed up for me. And it felt so good. Then there was the conversation with my granddaddy. My grandma and my granddaddy on my mom's side were married over 50 years. They were together since they were like 17. And so a few years ago, we lost my grandma and it was pretty tough. I've had so many conversations with my granddaddy since then that had just been so eye-opening. This one was the one for me. So I came in to his house to just talk. I had to tell him the news that I was leaving my marriage. I just came in and I sat at the kitchen table and I told him it just wasn't working out and I had to leave. And I'm scared because I got this newborn and I know that y'all value marriage and everything like that. But I just had to go and I got to do what's best for me and my baby. And he looked at me and he said, I'm just so proud of you. Just so proud. You saw that he was a fool. You got yourself together. You got your son together and you're getting out of it. Good for you is what he told me. Good. <laughs> now help your cousins. <laughs> and I'm like, chill. <laughs> But it was such a good moment to have that reassurance from him. I had so many people that were trying to convince me like, oh, this is a part of marriage and he's going to grow through this. And I didn't want to hear none of that. I'm leaving him. I'm not something to be grown into. Uh-uh. Either we grow together or we don't go together. And that's just that on that. My friends also showed up for me in major ways. 
They provided support through phone calls, through video chats, <laughs> even popping up on me to spend time, bringing cakes and care packages. My friends really pulled up on me. Paisley, my best friend from high school, she moved in with me to help me offset costs. We were both going through changes and it just made sense. So I couldn't tell what this man had going on. He was here, there, he was floating with the wind and I needed to make sure that I could sustain my household. So Paisley moves in and she helps me financially a lot. And then she also picks up the slack with Judah. She would help me drop him off at school and spend time and we would take turns cooking dinner. It was really a sisterhood up in here, okay? It was just so much encouragement and we were just really rebuilding our lives. And we found so much peace. The house has such good energy. When JD found out she was moving in, oh, he was pissed. <laughs> he was so mad, y'all. But that was on him. Things gonna be handled whether you're here or not. With my friends, it was like whoever came into my orbit during this time was exactly what I needed. I didn't have energy to reach out. I really didn't. I was working so much and then I was emotionally processing. I barely slept. I'm sleep deprived because I'm having a newborn by myself. So it was like whoever was checking in on me, asking me how I was and whoever I could just like quick catch up with. Those are the people who I was leaning on because it was too much to explain the story and to try to catch people up. It was just a lot. And so anybody who came into my orbit just really brought me peace and love and encouragement. It was just pure love. And so I started to look at all the ways that the people around me were loving me. And I started to create a list in my mind of all the ways that I wanted my next friends, my next partners, anybody who came around me to love me. I knew I deserved that type of love. And if the person that I decide to pursue a relationship with next time doesn't feel that way, then they not my person because people pulling up on me out of state coming to see me and check on me lay eyes on me people are coming and having movie nights and you know spending quality time and rearranging their lives to help me and that's how it should be when you care about somebody because i've really done that in my life too like my friends know just how they pull up on me i'll pull up on them too my family knows that too it's just that camaraderie i'm so grateful for it Things at my jobs were going really well. I really enjoyed working at the domestic violence shelter and meeting all the women and seeing their stories. So many people transformed their lives in such a short amount of time. And so it was just pure motivation for me to go into a job where I got to like really have good life conversations with people. Not everything was rosy, but it was really nice having so much positive feminine energy around me and it was really right on time in my life at my job at the software company i was really finding my way i was having a good time i worked on the flex team so i got to work with different departments and it really just was a good time it felt like i was getting my identity back i did my best to really be honest with judah I apologized to him as a little baby because I knew this was going to be a big change for both of us. I was worried. I was scared. Oh, I was so scared of having this little baby by myself. But I just knew that anything outside of my marriage was better than what was there. So I had to go. I told my baby that when he got older and he had feelings about it, we could talk about it. Then I told him I'd find him a stepdaddy by the time he was two. So don't sleep. I just kind of looked at everything at that time 
like it was a temporary setback for a major comeback later. I anticipated that things were going to be bad and things were going to be tight, but I was going to be able to push through and get through it because I'm a doer. I'm a healer. With JD gone, I could see clearly everything that I was working with. I started by putting out fires. I had really good credit when we got together, but in order to stay on my feet during this time, I had to get rid of all my credit. So all my credit cards, close my credit lines, all that stuff because I couldn't afford to pay. So I went to a debt consolidation company and it's not to be confused with the ones that offer you lump sum loans to pay for your debt. They negotiated on my behalf and then came back with a consolidated little monthly payment that I can pay and they can disperse to my creditors. Once I got the financials kind of sort of steady, <laughs> I started realizing that I could breathe again, at least a little bit. I was finding myself. I would take a journal to happy hour to have a little solo date on a budget, really. <laughs> I was out the house and I was in my thoughts. I was thinking about all the possibilities now. No matter what happened, good or bad, I was free. I had been waiting the decision to leave for so long that it was so nice to just not be in that space anymore. And honestly, when I made the decision to leave, I didn't know that I would be where I am right now. I didn't take into consideration everything that goes into being separated or getting divorced. It's so much easier to stay in the short term, but the leaving is so much more rewarding in the long term when you're in a situation like this. I process my emotions in real time. So I use mindfulness, sitting still, having a moment to myself to really celebrate all the strides that I was taking to rebuild my life for me and my baby. I'm really building the life that I want. If something doesn't agree with me, I'm choosing to remove it from my life and I'm better for it. I was proud of my confidence and my strength. I had a newfound respect for myself, a deep love and appreciation for the woman that I am and who I'm choosing to become. I'm also enjoying being alone. I'm rarely lonely. I'm just so happy to have peace in my home and around me. There was so much good energy. Mine, my baby, and just anybody who came around was just a little source of light. It felt really good knowing that I didn't have to settle for less than what I wanted. I could start over and as scary as I was, it was so exhilarating. It felt so good. I really hope y'all enjoyed the inspirational part of the story because baby now it's back to the bullshit. Just like any of our favorite stories, just as soon as our main character gets good and settled and has her peace, the tables turn yet again. I thought I was making it through the toughest part of this situation, deciding to leave and actually doing it. It was hard. I had so many sleepless nights and just tears and grief and all this stuff. And I'm thinking that I'm making it right. And everything seemed cool from JD's side until I wasn't sad anymore. Once I stood up and I was joyful, I was playful. I was funny. Once my spirit started to shine through again, the money he was sending started to get fewer and far between until he finally tells me. I'm not sending you any more money. 
because after I pay these few hundred dollars for my real estate classes and everything I need, I don't have enough money to buy milk. And I'm not going to be down bad and broke behind you. If you need something moving forward, you're just going to have to figure it out on your own. That's what he told me. And I remember looking at him and acknowledging, you know, this is really fucked up, but it is what it is. And whether you're here or not, I'm gonna make it happen for me and my son. But I'm gonna acknowledge that it's fucked up that you even coming at me like this. Cause you can't manage your money. You don't have rent. You don't have a car. You don't have anything to not be able to help me provide. But you out here and you spending your money however you spending it and not paying what you owe. Then my car started to break down. And JD knew he was partially responsible, driving Uber, such and such. He would text me and ask me what parts and repairs I needed and how much everything cost. So he's checking in to see how it was going. And then he would literally leave me on red. Never offering to help me fix anything or finance anything. It was just like he wanted to see how bad things were for me, I guess. Then he started telling me that he was watching me on my doorbell camera. So I would go to work at the shelter or come back from work and he, he would be able to tell me what I had on that day. I'm asking him how he knows that. He's like, oh, well, I've been watching you through the doorbell camera. So creepy, right? Luckily, he wouldn't give me no money. So the internet got cut off and that cut the camera creeping short. Around this time, I'm starting to hear whispers that JD and his family are dragging me behind my back. My coworker was helping to pitch me for a full-time position with my job in Florida. So I mentioned it to JD. We talked it through and it seemed pleasant. Just thinking about hypotheticals. He said he was happy for me, but then I found out he ended up telling family friends that he just faked like he supported me because he wanted to see me go to Florida and fail. He wanted me to have to crawl back to him for help. That was so funny to me because I ain't crawled since I was a child. And I have a long history of making things happen, especially without a nigga holding me back. JD was also having conversations with his family friends, calling me a basic baby mama. Whatever the fuck that even means. He and his family are telling people they never liked me. Been around them for what, 10 plus years at this point? Whole time smiling in my face. His little sister even stood 10 toes down saying, I never liked that bitch. I'm like, damn, sis, we just said happy hours eating $12 crab legs and $5 wings two weeks ago. And you were just telling me how much you hate your brother and how what he's doing to me is the same thing that your dad did to your mom and how fucked up that is. And I just remember thinking in my head, I'm not your fucking mom. I'm getting the fuck from around this nigga. It's just so funny to me how people switch up. It's also a weird flex to me for you to act like you never fooled with somebody that you spent years being friends with. What is that about? Because when it happens to me, I just feel like you was hating on me the whole time we were together. It's weird for you to be around somebody that you don't really fool with for years. But it's also probably worse for you to be around somebody and making memories and then pretending like you never fucked them i can't really decide which one is worse but both of them are bad and they're weird so when people try to flex like this i don't get it you sound soulless y'all they even had the little six-year-old niece in there saying that judah does not belong to amber 
He belongs to all of us. And she needs to understand that. What had they been saying around this little bitty child? We were never the best of friends now. Me and this little girl. We weren't. But I accepted that. And I was cool with that. Because you got to pay dues to be my friend. You can't just be a cute kid. I don't care. <laughs> my question is, who do I need to send a bill to for this little boy? Because I'm tallying it up, okay? I grew him in my uterus. I pay his bills. I provide him health care. I feed him literally from my boobs and from the food stamps that I have. <laughs> I'm I'm making it happen for my child. I'm out here working multiple jobs to put a roof over his head. So who does he belong to if not me? Because when shit really hit the fan, who can my son really turn to but me? His daddy not prioritizing him. And y'all are talking so hatefully about his mama in front of him. Y'all don't love him either. Because you should want the utmost happiness for a child. You would never want to bring dysfunction around him if you really love him. Then my son started acting different. I could tell that he was around other kids because he was starting to do certain things and act in certain ways and try to explore certain things. He was also really scared of furry animals, which let me know that he was around somebody who had pets. My ex's family doesn't really have pets like that. So I'm like, okay, this is something new. Shortly thereafter, JD pulls up to my parents' house one day. This is in the morning time. And there's a girl in the passenger seat. My dad was the one who peeped it and he was not happy about it. So when it's time for him to come back and get Judah, the same girl is with him. So I go outside, I do my normal routine, which is telling my baby, see you later and giving him kisses. And so on the way out, he's like, no, no, you don't need to come outside. I'm like, no, it's fine. He's like, nah, because I got my niece's friend with me. And I'm like, your niece is 17. You're 26. Why would a 17-year-old be with you? Mm. He's like, she was with me riding around to my games all day. Bet. All right, well, I'm coming outside. I put my son in the car. I lean over and I speak to the girl. She don't speak back. At that moment, I knew not even two months out the house, this nigga got a fucking girlfriend. And that's not all. My baby be around this girl. And she probably got a kid too. I didn't realize it at the time, but what I know now is that JD had already moved my son in with a woman and her daughter, and he'd only known them for a few weeks prior to that. This would be the beginning of a long fucked up series of events for me and my son. And that's where we'll wrap it for this week. Next week, it is shambly, like Tucker Roll. It is ridiculous. This story is just getting started. And I want you to think about it like a meal. We haven't even got to the appetizers yet. This is literally them bringing the water to put on the table. So I want you guys to buckle yourselves into high gear. Because now that this woman is in this situation, oh, it's up. <laughs> This show is executive produced and written by me, Amber Inadehi. Music for this podcast is executive produced by Malcolm X. You can follow him on Instagram at I am Malcolm X underscore. You'll also be able to find his information inside my show notes. If you like the art and advertisements that you see, those are produced by Artistically Esoteric LLC. You can follow us on Instagram at Artistically ESO. This information will also be provided in the show notes. And remember, it's fine if you come for the mess, as long as you stay for the message. See you next time, shawty.
slow, but it's slow for us too. It's a panoramic. My turn, my turn. Come on. My name is Judah. What? Yeah, what?